Okay, 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 everybody. You have now entered episode 60. Where are we going today? Where are you going? Hey, who, who, hey, Dave Matthews. Nope. Dave Matthews Band, definitely one of those groups where if you take about 10 years off from listening to them and then return, they're really good again. You know what I mean. You know who you are. You got deep into Dave in the 90s, then you forgot about him. Now, you kind of tiptoe back to him on the old Pandora app, and it's good again. Speaking of apps, how many do you have? Look at your phone right now. How many? Mm-hmm. Count. You got that one. Of course, you have that one. You have that one. You recently took that one off your phone. How many actually enhance your life? I'll ask myself the same question. How many of these apps enhance our lives? We just use them blindly following the sheep. A friend might recommend an app and you'll go, yeah, that sounds pretty good. I've always wanted to count how many slices of cheese I've had in a week. So you enter it in the app and then at the end of the week, it gives you your total and it starts to measure your favorite cheeses, whether that's cheddar, Munster, mozzarella. It'll let you know if you're eating more of the soft cheeses. People will explain dumb apps like this very seriously. Oh yeah, there's this great app called Tashi. If you eat pistachio nuts, uh, it measures how many you eat from the shell versus that have fallen out of the shell. So it's pretty cool. At the end of the week, you post a video and then all your followers can see your pistachio intake. And you're like, are you on Tashi? You start saying this to people. Are you on Tashi? Are you on the cheese app where you measure how many slices of cheese you have in a week? And is it a contest? Are we trying to limit the cheese? What are we doing? What are we doing? We just use them. We don't even question their benefit. And this is beyond social media. This is not another social media rant. That's too easy. I think it's too obvious. All of the hazards of just posting your life online. Although, holy shit, am I a hypocrite? Because yeah, I am on Instagram and I am on Facebook and I am on Twitter. And as we know, my lifelong goal will be to get off. But here's the question. Am I already in the wave where I can't get back to the shore? I'm already swept up into the current. So now, do I even have the willpower to go the opposite way? Not back in time. I don't want to make it sound antiquated if I reduce the apps and social media in my life. But just the ones that you really don't need. I'm on one called Strava. Strava is for runners. And now I don't have a gym membership, so I'm pretending to be a real runner. And this is when you just press record. When you leave your house, you go run around your neighborhood and it measures how many miles you've run, your pace of each mile, can measure your calorie count. So you basically turn your neighborhood into a gym and it keeps everything measured for you and calculated and it analyzes your stats. And I do this and I use this and I have one follower, my buddy Rick, and we click kudos on each other's runs. We do this. Guess what? We don't have to. We could just leave our homes and run and it'd be the same experience. You just went on a run, but now I feel the need to lock in, tap the record, look at my stats, analyze my week long runs. And I go, what am I, what am I doing? Am I susceptible to just every app recommendation? Holy shit. How scary is that? If somebody is convincing enough with their description of the app and its appeal, will I just blindly go to the app store and go, okay, uh, okay. Sounds good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, are you on the bold bean? 
It measures how many cups of coffee you're having in a day. And then you post pictures of each cup and all your followers can click like, and then you could see other people's coffee intake. But yeah, it's a pretty sick app. Really? Because I don't need it. Just the act of drinking coffee doesn't seem like I need to incorporate a phone. But all right. It almost goes back to a Mitch Hedberg bit. Mitch Hedberg, who said, I once bought a donut with cash and they gave me the donut and then they gave me a receipt. And in his own Mitch Hedberg way, he's like, I don't think that's totally necessary to print out a piece of paper with ink on it, letting me know that I just got a donut. There's some things we just do and don't question. The absurdity of our existence. That's what I like to examine. The things we just do blindly and accept it and don't question it. Okay, yeah, that's how society is now. So I'm on Strava. That one's real. The coffee, the cheese, the pistachios, not real. But if they were, and yet enough people using them, it would spread like wildfire. You can think of any dumb app right now. Probably wouldn't be dumb to enough people if they heard that it's appealing to the masses. To the masses. This is not cynical. This is just a realistic observation of the apps on your phone. So look right now. What do you have? Twitter, Instagram, okay, Facebook. What else? Oh, you have that app where you hold a picture of a bottle of wine to it. And it lets you know if it's a good wine, shows you all the reviews. Why not just drink the wine? Why do you need that app? I feel like these phones are slowly pulling me off a cliff and I'm digging in my fingers and my fingernails being pulled, pulled, and I'm only hanging on by one finger and one fingernail. I'm being pulled off this cliff. But as I dig in, I'm still noticing how much I don't want to go in this direction. We're going there. The movie Her, it's not fiction anymore. People are just going to start dating voices in their phones. Her, remember that one? Joaquin Phoenix? Everybody thought it was the distant future? Not really. It's more like three months from now future. All of those black mirrors you saw, and they felt like, well, maybe in 20 years that's how the world will be. Nah, 20 days. We did it. We hit fast forward on the world. We did it. All right, so if you occasionally put your phone down, there are these things called books. And I'm telling you, they're not bad. Some of them are pretty good. You could even read them for free at your local library. Speaking of our local library, they recently announced that they're waiving all late fees, which means welcome into stealing books. There's no more late fees at the library. I'm just telling you what I heard. So basically, you can walk into the library, take a book as long as you want, maybe 50 years, never return it, and there's no fine. I don't even know if that's stealing. What's the definition of stealing? It's not your property, but nobody is ever going to require you to return it. Forget that. That's not even what I brought up books for, but I'm just reading Pete Holmes' book. Got about 10 more pages to go. Pete Holmes, I guess most people would know him from the HBO show Crashing, which is good. His comedy, good. But his podcast, great. Because it's about two hours of him every week interviewing a guest, and I know all of the flaws. He talks too much. He doesn't let his guests answer their questions because he's so excited, and he laughs at his own jokes. I know all the negatives of Pete Holmes, but I love him. Just like anybody you love, you overlook their negatives because you realize, you know something? I do love you, Pete. There's something about his essence that's unlike other podcasts, and it's not one I can recommend because if I say, hey, you should listen to Pete Holmes' podcast. It's really good. It takes at least four or five to get into it. But most people don't wait that long. Most people listen to the first 10 minutes and go, nope, no thanks. Don't like his style. But eventually with every guest, he gets deep and talks about wisdom and life. 
existentialism, his philosophies. In this book he wrote, it's called Comedy, Sex, God. Those are all fun things to talk about. Comedy, it's fun to talk about. Sex, always fun to talk about. God, a great topic that I think we're all struggling with. Isn't that what unifies all religions? We kind of don't know, so we'll create this story, and that'll bring us comfort. Yeah, this is our higher power. That's our higher power. And what happens in the end? Here's what we think. Yeah, what do you think? Yeah, okay. We'll all be separate religions, but we're so unified by this mystery that it tends to make all religions look very similar, if you think about it. But Pete Holmes' book, the first 20 pages, eh. Second 20 pages, beep. Third 20 pages, beep. But then something happens. It heats up. And he gets into his own path of leaving religion. He becomes an atheist and adopting new theories into his life and... His connection with Ram Dass, Richard Albert, who along with Timothy Leary, they did the psychedelic hallucinogenic experiments at Stanford. Richard Albert, who now goes by Ram Dass, a true guru who learned under Maharaji. The last 50 pages of this book, I highly recommend because he talks about getting comfortable in a world that's not comfortable. It's not. We have too many thoughts, too many feelings, too many moods. If our goal is to minimize pain and maximize joy, then we're totally screwed because that'll never happen. So we have to learn about pain, learn about suffering. I know this all goes back to Buddhist wisdom, but here's what he said that I want to bring up right now, that if you could actually do effectively each and every day, you'll live a smooth, happy life. Now, I couldn't, I couldn't really utilize this wisdom every day. I don't think human brains are wired that way. But at least the idea is that we are not our thoughts. We are the ones witnessing all the thoughts. And the thoughts are what unify the human race. So you don't need to allow them to sway emotions so much. Just notice them, see that they're thoughts, and look beyond. And Pete Holmes described this as soul consciousness. And this isn't even his philosophy. It's who he studied. But as I'm reading this, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. If we were to allow all those thoughts, and you know when you get caught up on tangents of thoughts, you get stressed out about something that's still three months away, it changes your mood. But if you just took a step back and said, oh, no, 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 these are just thoughts, and I'm the one witnessing those thoughts, there's a detachment, there's a disconnect to think about, soul consciousness. So you identify life's moods, and you go, those aren't mine, those are everybody's. As in, I'm not feeling depression, but... This is depression. If you just start identifying these thoughts, try to follow this for a moment. Because at first it sounds a little confusing. Then you go, okay, I kind of want to get into that. Learn that. So next time you're experiencing anything, sadness, instead of saying, this is my sadness, I'm sad. You can just go, oh, this is sadness. It's what brings all humans together. Everybody listening to this podcast right now, you've been sad, you've been angry, you've been pissed, you've been scared, you've been miserable, you've been happy, you've been joyful, you've been all the emotions. I bet you've been all of the emotions. But to steady yourself in a sea of chaos, because if you have all emotions all the time, it's just chaos. You don't want to live that way. We do kind of want to have a little smooth existence in front of us. We want our path to be a little bit smooth. But knowing it won't be if you just start to witness the thoughts, back away from them and go, okay, yeah, they're proliferating through my head. You know, some of that consciousness is just coming to the surface, but nah, it's not me. It's like an annoying roommate. Think about that. If all those thoughts 
were coming from a roommate, you'd be annoyed with that person. You'd say, I don't want to live with that person. Yeah, you just coexist. Or what I've heard is think about the thoughts as cars. You don't want to stand in the road getting hit by all of them, but you can stand on the side of the road. We live with cars. Cars exist in society. So just stand on the side of the road. You watch all the cars come by. Those are your thoughts. You stand in the street, you're getting hit. All right? You follow me on that? You stand in the fucking street, pal, you're getting hit. So stand on the side of the road. So yeah, cars exist. They go fast. And they'll hurt you. Maybe kill you. But soul consciousness. Just witness it as a bystander. Next time you have something that completely stresses you out, take a step back. Look at it and say, that's not me. I mean, it sounds like it. Kind of feels like it. But nah. Nah, that'll pass. And then you'll feel connected to everybody on this planet. And then we'll all hold hands. Hold hands? Am I able to speak today? Yeah, we'll all hold hands and live harmoniously. All right, one thing about this podcast, it's not timely. I'm not responding to anything that recent. But I got to get to one aspect of the NBA Finals real quick. All right, so the Warriors lose the championship. Toronto takes it all. If I'm being completely honest, and I always believe I'm a lifelong Warriors fan, and that's where my allegiance is, and I love the Bay Area, and I love the Dubs history and Dubs culture, Love the fan base, love the players. Sure. You know, I pretty much believe that. Yeah. Even though I know the nostalgia is way more powerful for me in my heart. But, you know, this team, very good team. They go to the championship again. When they lose to Toronto, there's a part of me that goes, fine. Fine. What did I expect? Every year to win a title? And then you got Kawhi Leonard on the Raptors from San Diego State. And I feel like my allegiance nowadays is more closely connected to Aztecs athletics. So loved seeing Kawhi win. And I love how weird he is. And I mean weird in the sense that he's not expressive. So I probably shouldn't even say weird. He's just a guy who's not expressive. He probably feels everything, but just into a microphone doesn't feel the need to say it to all the reporters. Great. His game is beautiful enough. His game is expressive enough. Kawhi Leonard is one of the greatest stories in the history of of San Diego State, and it was happening while I was living down there. So I'm closely connected to that. So I was fine with the Raptors championship. I I won't say I cheered for it, but I was totally fine with it. However, that's not what this is about. This is about Drake. I don't know any Drake songs. I do know he's famous. I do know he's a rapper. I do know he's Canadian. I do know he's Jewish. I do know he hosted Saturday Night Live. That's it. Couldn't tell you any songs. You play a Drake song right now, his most famous song, I would not be able to identify that. But I know he's very wealthy. And he sits front row at every Raptors game. Even travels with them. He's like a mascot. He's like an ambassador for Raptors hoops. Good. But of all these celebrity fans throughout the years, you know, Spike Lee and Woody Allen with the Knicks. You think about E-40 with the Giants and Warriors. Or MC Hammer with the A's. Think about celebrity fans. You know, they bring something extra. Bill Murray with the Cubs. Who else? Ashley Judd with the University of Kentucky. Not sure why that comes to mind. But most fan bases probably have local celebrities or big-time celebrities cheering for their teams. It's fun. Matthew McConaughey with Texas Athletics, UT. Can I name any more? Of course, Jack Nicholson with the Lakers. How am I forgetting that? Or Billy Crystal with the Clippers. 
or Obama with the White Sox? Was he a White Sox fan? I don't know. I feel like he might have been. There's something charming to it. You know, the camera cuts away to these celebrities throughout the game. Jack Nicholson with the Lakers is the best example. It's just fun that he's right there. Or Spike Lee. It's fun. But Drake? Not fun. Did you watch Drake at all during the NBA Finals or throughout the playoffs? And I know it became a big story. But did you really watch him? I actually was distracted from the game because his antics were so annoying. They were so bothersome that I was wondering if in his head he's so aware of the camera being on him that he's performing and it's not cheering. It's not cheering. I've been a fan. I've cheered. I know what cheering looks like. Cheering could look really wild to you. Throw your arms up, clap, hug a friend, high five a stranger. Cheering's that. What Drake did was like deep method actor performances and it gets worse. It gets worse. Like just the pain on his face when his team misses a shot. Guess what? Players miss shots. Every time though, I'm watching Drake and his seat is like center. So you always see him. And the camera loves him. It just became such a TMZ aspect to a pretty good series. But then there were some key injuries in the series and he looks so crestfallen. He looks so down in the dumps with each injury. And you should see it. It's like he shakes his head no no like he just found out a family member was killed that is the depth of this performance and not only that he seems to be coaching the players too he tells guys to run back on defense and he does it like really enthusiastically like he starts pointing his finger to the player and then showing them where to run on the court these are professional basketball players and drake is showing them where to run it's like he thinks He understands the game on such a deep level that he's allowing the players to have the privilege of Drake organizing their offense. Watch. Just watch. You got to see this. I don't even know if this falls into the category of entertaining because it did capture my attention. So is that entertainment if I was somewhat amused? You know, like all the TV shows I watch that I hate. I couldn't stop watching. I couldn't stop watching Drake. And then they have a camera on him. The whole reactionary videos, by the way that are on social media, where people film themselves reacting to something, whether it's sports or the Oscars or just fights. Who needs any of that bullshit? Reactionary videos. So Drake watches a game and knows there's a camera on him at all times. And it causes him to do things that are disingenuous, that are just, you know, fake reactions. Not how he would watch it if he was alone in a hotel room. You know that's the most honest you could ever be. Alone in a hotel room watching sports. Drake's not jumping up and down. He's not. He's not. But I realize the players are so young. This is when I start to sound a little bit aged, like fine cheddar cheese. I'm not going to say old, but the players are so young that they are fans of his music. I think Drake's for a bit younger demographic. So you have Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, you know, Clay, all these Warriors players that probably like him. But they also have to witness that he is the most annoying presence maybe in the history of the NBA. And I know there have been hecklers. I know there have been people who take it too far. But something about Drake takes it to a different level that we've never seen before. And it's official. Talked about Drake for too long. Speaking of things that I can't stop watching, even though I can't stand, Big Little Lies on HBO. Are you watching this? There's no way you can like any characters. You can't. 
all of these women are terrible. The type of moms that look at their five-year-old daughters and say, get ready to send that transcript in to the colleges. Helicopter parents, but it's higher than helicopters or more powerful than helicopters. These are the type of moms that are in a different realm altogether. And it's based on a book. My wife read the book, said the show was very similar to the book. And there's a murder in the end. But now it's season two and they added Meryl Streep to the cast. And Meryl Streep is a professional actress, just like all of them. But she's like LeBron on the court. She's like Kevin Durant. She just stands out. She owns the scenes. She dominates the lens of that camera. Everything she says just makes me breathe hard. I go, whoa, that is Meryl being Meryl tonight. I'm like Drake cheering on big little eyes. Yeah, go Meryl. But it's true. She just acts harder. You know, like some great athletes, they play harder. They leave their heart out on the court or the field. That's Meryl. Meryl Streep is legitimately worthy of all the accolades and awards she's ever won. Why is she on an HBO show? I don't know. Maybe the money was right. But season two is so good. It's so good. And the drama is so scintillating. But it's just a bunch of rich people having rich people problems. And the whole setting for the show is beautiful on the cliffs of Monterey with these billion dollar homes. And every scene, for some reason, I care about. Zoe Kravitz, Lenny's daughter, care about it. Reese Witherspoon, hate her so much in this show. But that's good acting. It's like when you hated Joaquin Phoenix. Hey, two Joaquin Phoenix references in the movie Gladiator. Who does he play? I forget. But he's so bad. He's so evil that you just hate him. And then when the credits roll, you go, oh, that's good acting. That's why I hate him. So it's good acting. Laura Dern, you hate her so much. Nicole Kidman, you hate her so much. It's good acting, though. It's good acting. If you could bring me to hate you. Maybe even Drake did that. Drake's acting brought me to hate him. Good acting. He is a good actor, actually. In the SNL skits, I saw him and he was very good. Oh, but here's why I'm bringing this up. So there's this one scene. This is a ridiculous reason to bring up Big Little Lies. But there's this one scene where Laura Dern has a professional photo shoot on her balcony. And it's just like a one minute scene. But she's kind of dancing around and showing off her home. Maybe she's a real estate agent and she's going to be on the cover of a magazine. But the song that they're playing during her little turnaround photo shoot, Diana Ross, It's My House and I Live Here. Now, I didn't know that was a Diana Ross song. I actually thought they just wrote it for Big Little Lies. That's how much this song got under my skin and stayed in my head for nine days. God, I wish I was kidding. So, yeah, I'm going to play it for you right now. I'm going to bring it up on my Spotify. This is the song that was playing when Lord Dern was dancing on her balcony in Big Little Lies. And it's Diana Ross. I'm not a big Diana Ross fan. Actually, is anybody? You ever meet anybody nowadays? And they're like, yeah, I'm pretty into Mumford and Sons. I love Drake and Diana Ross. No, Diana Ross is one of those artists where we all go, oh yeah, we know her music. Sure, she had her place in the disco world, but you don't meet anybody nowadays who's just bumping Diana Ross in their car, especially me. But she's fine. She's good. She's good enough. But listen to this song. It's the most ridiculous lyrics you ever heard, but the beat's good. And when the horns come in, oh boy, then it captures you. So I had to look up this song after the show, and I shouldn't have because now I, uh, I hate to say this, but I recreate the scene in my own home. I pretend I'm Laura Dern in my home. Wish I was kidding on that one. And I pretend, I pretend that I'm so proud of myself having this home. And I pretend there's 
photographers around me and I dance and I dance to this. Okay, I don't really do all that, but let's analyze these lyrics. Okay. So far, so good, right? All right, that's the beginning. It's my house and I live here. All right. Why write a song about that? You're probably wondering what's important about that. A lot of people have houses. Not a lot of people writing that lyric. Okay. There's a welcome mat. At the door. Fuck, I hope so, Diana. There's a welcome mat, but if I walk in, I'll get much more. If I don't, it's not a house. If I walked into your home and there was nothing beyond the welcome mat, then didn't I just walk through a frame and remain outdoors? So there's not a lot of wisdom to that lyric, but what else you got, Diana? There's, my chair. there's her chair. I put it there. All right, that's a little endearing. You know, that's my chair. I put it there is one of the worst rhymes because most houses have a chair that the owners put there. But everything with love and care. All right, I'm back, Diana. I'm back. So the chorus is probably growing on you. What's on the table? Oh, a rose. You know, that's not bad. Through every window, a little light flows. A lot of people like natural lighting. So I, I get it. You don't have to keep the lamps on. You get the natural lighting. There's a rose in a vase, probably. They don't say vase. Vase. There's a feeling. Oh, on the shelf, there's a feeling? Oh. Yeah, I get this. The house was built for love. The song gets much weirder. Stay with it. Okay, we know it's her house. She's so proud of that. It's kind of redundant. Oh, there's a candle. To light the stairs. What? Diana Ross, there's music on your radio? What about vinyls, records? Come on. And didn't you just mention natural light coming in? Why, why a candle at the stairs? This is either getting real sexy or real dangerous, okay? But it gets weirder. She put her name on the ceiling. What did she use, a Sharpie? Just wrote Diana. She said, hmm, like she's thinking, what should I talk about? She's about to talk about a stalker. Listen to this. She said, so you want to move in with me? Who, who, who just said they want to move in with you? This is not a duet. You gotta find the moves to get me. It's kinda cute, actually. You wanna visit my house now? 
You want to drop by? Whoa, 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 whoa. You just changed the narrative. It started off, you want to move in, and now it's just you want to drop by. Who you talking to, die? This is a real song. Okay, we have to honor the fact that she's a famous singer. Who wrote it? I didn't Google that. Did she actually write this? Or is there a professional songwriter who's like, it's my house and I live here. That's gold. Let's talk about the welcome mat. And then let's assure the listeners that there's more after the welcome mat. Let's talk about the candle, fire hazard. And then we'll get into the idea that someone's trying to move in. And then she's offering a stop by. Oh, the welcome mat. I love this. All right, is that it? Who wrote this? A nine-year-old? Jeez. But it's good. That's the problem. The beat, the horns, her voice. She's good. Uh, I wish Big Little Eyes maybe did not incorporate that into the show so I could have saved some days of my life. But sometimes it's the little things, right? Sometimes if you get consumed with the little things, it's not a bad thing. Maybe it means you're not focused on the big things. Really, I'm trying to create some wisdom out of this. Maybe it's the highs that you don't have to chase because the lows make you realize that the highs are the highs. Oh, boy. It's probably the best show on TV, though, right? If you're actually listening to this podcast and you watch Big Little Lies, you know what I mean. Every Sunday night, get the popcorn. Get the popcorn. Celeste is ready. Okay? And Ziggy's growing up. And with Perry... Uh, being in every scene, even though he died, every cutback to Perry is like real intense. Plus, that's a good name. Is this character famous enough where if I have a boy one day, I can't name him Perry? If I have a baby boy, I love the name Perry. Perry Rosenberg. That's a crooner. Actually, no, maybe we'll give him a fancy middle name so he could drop Rosenberg, just like a lot of celebrities drop their overly ethnic-sounding names. Have we ever talked about that? John Leibowitz? John Stewart, Jeff Lipschultz, Jeff Ross. All right, I'll save that for another episode. We got to talk about all the Jews who drop their Jewish sounding last names. Why? Seriously. Let's stop hiding ethnicity. I'm on a soapbox. I'm back up here. Not just Jewish people, but if your name sounded too Russian or if your name sounded too Italian in the 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s. I'm not sure it's happening as much anymore. Fake names? Maybe it is. I don't know. But a lot of these actors with their incredible names, you Google them and you go, oh, that's not your name. You felt the need to change it to have a better sounding name. What's the psychology behind that? Where you don't honor your actual heritage, your actual name, and you pick something that just sounds so cool? I mean, if you're a rapper, I get it. But if you're just an actor, why not? Bring that ethnicity. I honestly have no clue how I got on this one. But let me backtrack for a moment. Just going to backtrack for a moment. It's my house and I live here. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think it's important to watch certain things on a big screen. I've had this conversation too often recently. I ask people if they've seen a movie, right? And a lot of the time, whether it's my students, uh, friends, coworkers, I ask people if they've seen a movie and they say, yeah. And if it's one that I loved, I go, yeah, did you like it? They go, well, you know, 
I, I watched it on my phone, so I, I I should probably watch it on a television. How are people watching full movies with earbuds on their phones? I've never done that. Sports highlights, maybe. A gif or a gif here and there, sure. But people more and more are just watching full shows or full movies on these little iPhone screens. Of course, that'll hurt the experience and that'll hurt your review of the movie altogether. But if it's all you got, and I'm not making this out to be a financial thing, like if you can only afford that screen and everything is coming through that screen from Hulu to Netflix to Amazon Prime and you have access to all these streaming things, HBO, because you're stealing other people's passwords and that's how you're experiencing anything from the green book to big little eyes. It's a different experience. Can't we say that? It's a different experience. Or even worse, when people say, yeah, I watched it on a plane, so I probably have to watch it again. No one's ever watched a movie on a plane and had the same experience as being on Earth. When you're in the sky, you're not as into the movie. Because you could be at like the most incredible scene, the most exciting scene, the most intense scene, and it's just... Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, making our way into Denver International. Uh, make sure you're remaining seated with the seat buckle sign on. Boop. And then... You go back to the movie, then you go back to The Shape of Water, then you go back to watching Milk as Sean Penn knocks it out of the park with a Harvey Milk performance, but every 15 minutes, I want to let you all know that there's a little turbulence coming up in about 12 minutes, and it'll last for about 12 minutes, and if you're watching a movie right now, I'll be describing turbulence every 12 minutes. To fuck up your flight. Pretty good. Boop. Stop watching movies on flights. If there's anything about this podcast you remember, that's it. Stop. Get a book. Read the Pete Holmes book. You'll love it. All right, that's episode 60. It's in the books. I'll talk to you soon.